Okay, so we are recording now. Uh, this is fun. Uh, so this is, uh, we've got seven people here in our audience. Oh, six, and a bot that's recording this. Uh, so this is a test run of kind of a, I guess what will be like a bonus episode. I guess a bonus episode, because we did, what was the one game last year that we didn't do a post-game show because we're like, this game sucked, we don't want to talk about it? Um, it was like Western Kentucky, I think. Or yeah, Texas State, one remember. of those. Um, but so we're on the Discord server, and Discord rolled out stages very similar to Clubhouse. And so we've got a people in our audience, and we're just going to kind of talk here. And this kind of can be like a call-in show or like any radio show, right? And so we've got this recording, and people can raise their hand if they want to say something. And so before our you know show next week with Arizona, because we are, I mean, there's college football on Saturday. That's exciting. That is exciting. UCLA it's, plays against Hawaii on Saturday, and I'm excited to watch Hawaii, I think, take them to the woodshed. I mean, I really don't think that, but I kind of think that, because Chip Kelly sucks, and I'm ready for Hawaii to not suck. I I saw, I actually just put some money on that game. Like, it's, right now, UCLA is an 18-point favorite, and there must be something about Hawaii that is happening that I am missing, that I just don't get, because I do not expect UCLA to be, you know, three scores better than Hawaii. That's a mind-boggling line to me. So I'm a little unprepared for this, Garrett, because uh, I just learned that a guy that I work with, he's like a vice president. At the, like, he's a pretty big deal at the bank. He is a, I don't know, it's how to, like, whatever. His social media brand, I guess, is LDS Smile. And I'm just watching all of this, like, super mormon content that he's put up which is great we're all members most of us are members and or at least familiar with members of the church but i am just shocked that this guy who i work with and the content he's putting out on the internet it's weirding me out yeah um the i think i've seen that account before um yeah, he pops up occasionally and i'd seen it too and today it registered that oh my the um okay so i guess the uh we the big news today and we'll get some of y'all's thoughts about this and kind of to start off is the the whole alliance between the pac 10 the pac 12 the big 10 and the acc and i think this is a giant nothing burger because they're saying that it's going to include non-conference scheduling but then also, that all those teams have their non-conferences booked out for like a decade. So, what they're going to do some basketball games, which they already played anyway, right? Like it's you know you can bank on UNC or Duke playing a Big Ten team in their non-conference schedule every year. So, I really think this is a whole lot of nothing. Yeah, I do too. I mean, if anything, I guess it kind of represents that. Those three conferences aren't going to sit idly by while the SEC usurps the power of the NCAA. But at the end of the day, when TV revenue comes down to it and all that other stuff, they may not have a choice, right? Like uh, when it comes down to the SEC and its power, if the SEC calls Clemson up this afternoon, Clemson will leave that alliance immediately. Ohio State, Michigan, probably leave that alliance initially like once that new with texas and oklahoma tv deal goes through for the sec like down the road you're looking at a, a situation that i mean they could be cashing 65 million dollar checks from espn 
where the best school in these three alliance conferences is making 30, 35 million, like the money is going to ultimately speak at the end of the day. And so the alliance just feels like a, hey, listen to us still, SEC, you're not in charge yet. But over time, I mean, we've seen how quickly it could move. Nobody thought Texas would ever go to the SEC, and here we are. So I, I agree. I, I think it's just a lot of words and a lot of they want to catch the the spotlight before the season starts. But at the end of the day, I don't think anything tangible really comes from this. Yeah, I agree. Um, so if you are listening in on this, you should have at the bottom, there's like a little button with a hand. Uh, you can click that to request. I don't know, maybe braiding can tell us what it looks like because he figured out how to do the request. Um, so hop in, if you want to say something, hop in here. Oh, we do got Braden. So I don't know, Braden, what do you think about the Alliance? You are on the air. If... Can you hear me? Yep. Sweet. Um, I was just going to say, everybody, that it is just a hand in the bottom left corner. But I think it's a bunch of nothing, too. I think it's just them trying to um, show that they're they're trying to band together and act like there's something big, but they're so the yeah i don't i don't know i just don't see really meaningful what is going to happen with it um just you know like i said it's it's all driven by money like what are they going to do with scheduling that's really i mean the pac 12 maybe this pushes them to cut to eight conference games and stop cannibalizing themselves which is something that they should have done a long time ago anyway um i think you know we're still a decade out and i think you know, it, there's before, I mean, this is obviously going to be driven by football and anything meaningful isn't with this isn't going to happen for a decade. And the entire landscape of college football is going to look different in a decade anyway. So I don't think it really, don't think it really matters. Uh, we got Mike Polson now. You, Mike, you are on the air. All right. Uh, first time listener, uh, caller, long time listener. Um, anyways, uh, yeah. I know I posted it in the Discord, like right when the alliance was first mentioned. But the more and more I think about it, this uh, alliance feels a lot like the Magicians Alliance from Arrested Development, where they just demand to be taken seriously. Yeah, but they're just nothing. Um, and I don't know. I I think it's just kind of banding together and uh, making sure that they just try not to get overrun. But I don't know if it will work in the end. Yeah, I, I agree. I, th- I don't think it will. So ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips, he just said like three minutes ago that this entire alliance relationship is built about trust or is built on trust. It's about trust. Like there's never been a college athletics relationship that has ever not been trustworthy, right? Like recruiting is about trust. Well, that's the dirtiest game in the world. Like uh conference the big 12 conference sure had a lot of trust in oklahoma and in texas until they didn't i mean it happens everywhere like so this is all just fluff there's nothing to it and i mean let's talk about what it means for byu because there's going to be a lot of panic and i get it i I think on the surface there's reason to panic uh, that other schools are bonding together and byu's not one of them i get it but I think the only thing that really impacts BYU is the academic side of this. Now, there hasn't been any real talk about the academic side of this, but a lot of these schools, especially Big Ten and ACC, Impact 12 too, right? They're they're AAU schools. They're like, they they hold themselves in high esteem from an academic standpoint. And tomorrow's newsletter is going to talk a little bit about this, but, but, the comments that were made by Elder Holland yesterday 
forget the, the political side of it. He made some comments uh, yesterday where he said that there is potentially a world where BYU is asked to do too much and they will sacrifice some certifications or some professional affiliations. And that felt telling to me because a lot of these academic institutions, right, they're, they're going to push an agenda that usually opposes what BYU's agenda is or what BYU tries to do. And so it, it's interesting to me just the timing of it. So I think both of these things are just top of mind for me is all. Um, oh, we have a visitor. My son is here. Yes, buddy. He can talk on the show with us. He can have his segment. Do you want to talk, Bode? Mm, he just wants to talk to me. Hold, hold on, Bodie. So, my, my, I mean, my, really, my thought here is that uh, this seems like an affiliation, a professional affiliation, that if it ever did come down to it, like we saw with the with Iowa State Student Senate and the LGBTQ stuff in 2016, where this alliance decided to, hey, BYU, we can't schedule them anymore. I, I don't see that happening, but it could. And now instead of Iowa State acting by themselves, what if there's a scenario where it's Stanford or Northwestern or, or whomever that's a loud academic voice in this, in this room of affiliated schools that is saying, hey, guys, as an alliance, we can't play BYU. I think there'd be pushback. There's nothing contractual that would say one has to follow the other. But it's interesting to me just this big group of people that – kind of thinks alike and like-minded people and it tends to oppose what BYU tries to do. That feels like that could be an ominous thing in the future. Nothing immediate, right? And nothing that, and maybe nothing comes of it at all, but it just feels like, God, now instead of these conferences of 12 teams, you're, you're getting 40 teams in a room together that think opposite of what BYU does. That that doesn't seem like a great sign, but what does it yeah. mean? Yeah, and I think that's something that I mean, a lot of like doomsdayers, tinfoil hatters have probably thought for a long time, right? Like of, you know, that eventually push come to shove. It's, you know, where BYU Athletics going to go and assuming, you know, things stay the same, um, you know, with the church's stance with that, you know, similar to obviously we know what happened um, in the 70s with Wyoming coming to town and the players refusing to play and those things like that. And so, you know, what is, where's that going to lead going forward? Uh, but I don't know. I don't think it will be immediate. And I think a lot of people, I mean, even if you look at the Pac 12, right? Like it's everybody knows, like we all know the reason that BYU is not part of the Pac 12 and that it is driven by religion and those politics aside. But like Jeff, you said earlier with the money talking more than anything else, push come to shove we've played we've scheduled or played a game against every single Pac-12 team since we went independent because they know we sell tickets and show up in droves and like we enjoy playing them and it's a good regional game for them because if they want to go outside of their conference we are the best game in their footprint right cuz nowhere else um, you know it's it's like who else is there it's like okay they can play Fresno or Boise like that doesn't really move the needle right like it's they have to go into Big 12, Big 10 country to get a decent opponent because the Pac-12 is largely on an island and we are there and available for the taking. So it's, I think it's very similar in that regard, whereas I don't think that, you know, scheduling isn't going to be an issue. And, there, you know, there's other schools. I mean, there's a handful of religious schools, right, that, you know, could band together, obviously, like Baylor is one of the more religious schools, right? And it's you have TCU, which is 
not a religious like TCU if is best described as a school that was founded by religious people, but it is not a religious school. And so you're going to see, even though some of, you know, those schools, you know, going that have historically had religious affiliations, like, you know, maybe there's, maybe we get a Jesus conference, you know, like let's get together with SMU and Baylor and BYU and Notre Dame, Duke, Boston college, Syracuse, Tulsa, Right, like I, I'd be down with that league. I wouldn't. Baylor, the, the, the Baylor sucks. Well, okay, I, we can kick out Baylor, but you know what I mean. Just give me the Jesus Cup. Um, the, you know, instead of the Commissioner's Trophy, it can be the Jesus Cup or like the Salvation Shield. Uh, <laughs> that would be nice. or something. Yeah, um, I don't know, man. I mean, it just feels oh, like my, Mike just Mike, you could have you could raise your hand again. We've got multiple channels here going, but Mike just texted me while we're talking on here. Uh, but he would like his point that says, please, no liberty in the Jesus conference. And I got to agree with that. But speaking of liberty, if you guys want to do something really fun on Twitter, just tweet anything semi negative about Hugh Freeze because he searches his name, not his mentions. Even he searches his name and will reply to you. I said something about him once, did not tag him, and he DM'd me. And if I, I have had multiple conversations with Hugh Freeze so through weird. the DMs because he is oddly, oddly obsessed with finding his name on the Twitter.com. So George Klyovkov, the the new Pac-12 commissioner. He just confirmed. There's not a contract. There's no signed document. There's nothing that is uh, binding between these three conferences. He says it's an agreement between three gentlemen and a commitment from 41 schools. Okay, well, what happens when um, Nebraska gets a new athletic director or a new university president? What happens when Kevin Warren decides to take a job somewhere else? You know, when George Klyovkov gets offered a job back in Vegas to get into the casino business again. Like this is all nothing. And I think that statement from Klyovkov just kind of proves it. There's not a document. There's not a contract. This is just words. It's all just words. And there's nothing even definitive that they announced. Hey, and in the future, we're going to have contract. Uh, we're going to have games inter interconference games. Okay, great. <laughs> you were going to do that anyways. This doesn't change anything. It's all nothing. Nothing changes. So if that's not changing anything, we can get forward, kind of pivot here for the last um, few minutes. I know we kind of scheduled this for an hour. Uh, we'll see how long we have to blab. Um, I think this is kind of, le- this format lends itself better to quick conversations. But if you are in the audience, I guess you can raise your hand if you want to pitch in. Kind of what are you looking forward to about the season other than the fact that there's football? What who what players are you most excited to see? Who are you? What were your biggest question marks that you have? <laughs> You know, let us let's get stuff coming from you. And even more than that, um, what do you think of this format? What do you think uh, of? Oh yeah, and kind of give some feedback about Discord in general. Kind of, I know most of everyone that's here is kind of regulars on the twenty four seven message board. I have seen kind of a big uptake in terms of uh, what's the word involvement. Does that be what it was called? Like it's it seems like people are really liking the kind of chat style of Discord over like the static message board on the clanky uh twenty four seven site. Feels like testimony meeting. I know. We're gonna have to start calling up oh, Braden's back. You're on. 
Uh, you're muted, but you're on. You're muted, but you're on. Awkward. There we okay. go. Can you hear me now? Yep. Awesome. Sorry to be the one that keeps talking. I, I've loved Discord as I made it pretty clear a couple weeks ago when I was talking about that. I think the format's been great. It's a lot easier to engage, get responses quick. So I'm Perfect. loving it. Um, I did have a question, and I maybe I don't want to take this too far off topic. What do you guys feel like the likelihood that um, Texas and Oklahoma stay until 2025, or what do you think is going to transpire? I think most of us don't think it's gonna. They're gonna wait till 2025. But what's your thoughts? They'll find a way to get out of it because the sooner they get out of it, the more money they get from the SEC. So they will. But at the same time, I could see them. There is the incentive, right for the other schools to keep them there um, as long as possible, because, you know, once they get into a legal thing, you know, it's, I trust the attorneys that Oklahoma and Texas can afford over the rest of those eight schools. So I, I, I don't see, think that there's any way that they end up going to uh, staying all the way till 2025. I don't think it'll be next year, but I think it's probably going to be like 23 is when they okay. end up moving is what be my guess. Like, that was my question. Cause I, I didn't think they're going to go till 2025 either, but I wondered if people think it's going to happen next year, if it's going to happen in two years, something like that. So, yeah, I, th- I think it'll be quick. I, I honestly could even see it next year. I wouldn't be surprised. It's just too fractured of a relationship at this point. To, to yeah, do I, much. it something, seems pretty weird to me with your yeah. ex girlfriend. So. Yeah, living in the same house as your ex is kind of awkward. Uh, I something you know before we got oh. Mike uh, raised his hand, and then we'll let me say we'll get to him back on the something that I've thought about, and maybe Caesar was like, I don't know if TCU is actually better off now for being than they were for being in the um, than they were being in the Big Twelve, right? Like they had they've had a decade. By the time twenty twenty five rolls around, they will have been in the Big Twelve for what like twelve years, thirteen years, whatever. And it's like the alternative path for them would have been being in the AC, the AAC, and they were doing fine, right? Like they ultimately, if they moved to the AAC today on a national level, their their relevance would stay the same, right? Like TCU, like they had that one year in like 2014, well, the first year of the playoff when them and when them and Baylor were finished five and six, and the Big 12 got left out. But that's really all they've done in the last decade and honestly if they were in the big 12 if they were in the AC there but now they're gonna it looks like they're gonna end up back in the same place right like they're gonna be just on the outside looking in the same place as they were when the time when BYU and TCU were in the Mountain West together and they had that great five-year stretch but now they're making way less money than they currently are but they so they're in the exact same place a decade later but straddled with debt and that puts a huge strain on their athletic department and you know their budget has like quadrupled since they joined the Big 12 because they thought that this gravy train was never ending. So that is something that's going to be really interesting to follow. Um, let's get yeah, I think they're in a better place. Just they kept Gary Patterson, right? I mean, you have to take a macro look at this. And I, I that's true. If they stay, if they don't go to the Big 12, Gary Patterson bolts the same way Scott Frost did, and and can uh, TCU lure in a coach like Gus Malzahn to replace? their coach right no i don't think so i i think the tcu uh, it absolutely was the right call right move for them because otherwise you know who knows what tcu is without gary patterson and so there's a lot i think that goes into that it's true t oddly enough to you guys, gary patterson has coached tcu as a member of four different conferences 
which is kind of weird. Also because he churches. So. He's also he's also a member of the church, and his kids went and to BYU. I, and I think he's gone through four different wives as well. Oh, so it's conference alignment is a lot like marriages. Okay, I have uh, a weird a weird connection. Sorry, Mike. I know that you're here, but I do have uh, a weird connection with Gary Patterson's ex-wife, and so I I know a little bit more about oh. Gary Patterson than I should. Oh, he's an intriguing fellow. Um, <laughs> anyways, I was just uh, getting back on. I was just wondering what you guys think the alliance could possibly, um, how that could affect the future of the college football playoff and its format. Because obviously there was the announcement or whatever a couple months ago of it's going to 12, six automatic qualifiers and everything. How do you think the alliance is going to vote together, I guess, to try to push to change it if they change it at all? Yeah, I, I think that's the biggest thing here is that the alliance, these three conferences just looked at the SEC and realized, crap, if we go to 12 teams like we initially proposed, the SEC is going to get six or seven of them. And I, I think that this goes to a long way in showing that these three teams are willing to have uh, discussions together and maybe vote together when it comes to those kinds of things. Yeah, it'd be interesting to, if like they – voted to put a cap on you only get three yeah. or four teams and, and then and if you, that's the case like why does oklahoma even want to be there because right and i and i think that's what's interesting and you used to see it like you saw it all the time in like the old whack and you see it in other conferences but for us uh i think we remember the old whack like byu and utah were a voting block they always voted together in whatever conference decisions came up and it's like these conferences just took that same approach to a conference level. And, and now it's like, okay, as good as the SEC is, they still only count for one vote, and you've got to convince all three of these other conferences, not just two. What remains to be seen is is how much sway the SEC is going to have with them because it wasn't that long ago, just a year ago, that the ACC directly opposed the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, and they wanted to play football when the other two conferences did not. So in the, in the name of this alliance, like conceivably the ACC would have had to vote with their majority and not play football even though they wanted to. Uh, so we'll see what you know what comes of this when, when those votes come up, when those things are challenged. Uh, but I think, Mike, I mean, to answer your, your question, I think that's the initial takeaway is that uh, it's a voting block and they aren't going to let the SEC just walk all over them. So, yeah, if the SEC thinks they're going to get – half of the 12 playoff teams out of their conference, these three schools, or these three conferences, rather, are going to do whatever they can to, to not let that happen. All right. All right, I got to go, but thanks for doing this, guys. Thanks, Mike. The Okay, we got uh, Derek here. Derek Miles, which is apparently Miles is not actually his last name. I was confused by this, which his avatar is magnificent. What is, where did you catch that fish at? Okay, so I'll start with the fish. I, I caught that up at um, Lake Mary up by Brighton Ski Resort. Oh, that's it a was, big one. Yeah, it was an incredible day. It was 4th of July um, 2020. Just went up there, and the place was packed, and all of a sudden I pulled out this huge fish, and it was a lot of fun. But, yeah. Um, so, first time, long time, guys. Uh, <laughs> it's been it's been fun uh, hanging out with uh, the Give em Hell Brigham guys, and... Um, nice to kind of hear meet you and have you guys hear my voice um so the things i'm most excited for this season are number one i'm super excited for blake freeland i think that 
he's like my most favorite player on the team right now. I just I can just envision him just having an awesome year this year. So I'm super pumped for him. Um, and then my my biggest concerns this year or worries are, as far as BYU is concerned, is I, I'm I'm just not sold on our D line. I'm nervous about him. I think we've got you know some unproven talent. Um, you know, Batty showed some really awesome flashes last year, and he's a giant dude. And um, Uriah has been good at times, but he hasn't been able to put it together for on a full season. And um, I, I'm, I'm nervous about the interior D-line. I know Mahe has a lot of potential and, and, and stuff like this. So I, I'm just concerned about the D-line. I, I, I think we need them to be good in order for um, Tuyaki's defense of playing more coverage versus, um, you know, kind of um, – Pressure, like trying to get more pressure on the quarterback. It, we really need the D line just to be. Safe. So, um, anyway, yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah, yeah, you know, I I've thought a lot about the defensive line, and I'm not as worried as I think the general consensus is about the defensive line. I I think that there's bodies there that are going to be good. And Tuiaki doesn't ask his defensive line to be Utah's defensive line as much as we all thought that he would when they when when he initially came over from BYU or from Oregon State to BYU. We all assumed that would be the kind of scheme that he runs, but but he doesn't. He, he he's totally content filling gaps and letting linebackers make plays. Um, so I'm not overly concerned about the defensive line. I, I'm, I'm higher on you know guys like Zoe and, and guys like Uriah that I, I think they've played at a really high level. Health has been their issue. When they have health, they're really, really good. Um, I, I like some of the younger guys. John Nelson is a name that I've heard a few times that he's just strong as an ox. I think we've all seen the pictures of Josh Larson. Uh, he's huge. Like he, He's enormous compared to what he once was. That's that's big, and that's what Tuiaki looks for. Is if he has guys who are strong, then that can move a move a body and get off a block. Then that's then I, I guess he's content with that. That's what he's looking for. So I think that's good. Um, I'm with you on Blake Freeland, though, man. I mean, the dude's a stud. Uh, well coached. His dad, well coached. You know, he, he's been coached up by his dad forever, so he's got great coaching. Um, He's he's just such a machine. He's just so big. I, I'd like to see him get a little bit quicker, a little bit stronger in his lower half this year. That's the big thing I'm looking for. He's got strong arms, great length, and so he's able to contain those defensive ends, uh, the, the speed rushers. But his lower half, it, it is long. He's got big, long legs, and he's just got a little bit, got to get a little bit stronger off the ball so that he doesn't get bullied as much on by those bigger defensive ends. But I think he can get there, and I'm excited to see what he can do. If he does that, I think he's a draft pick. I mean, he's he's that good. I yeah, I really think it's interesting. And you mentioned this uh, kind of on the board a couple days ago about the D line and looking at specifically, you know, like what do we do rushing the ball? And if it's like we're okay rushing or the rush defense is okay, then the whole like everyone's notions about dropping eight or whatever doesn't matter because that means the D line is getting the job done. And so it's you know if you can stop the run, you know, and it's kind of like people always say like oh it's like you know obviously blitzing right every time you blitz you leave a gap and so if someone is if you're bringing more pressure you know if you blitz and don't get to the quarterback then that's the worst possible outcome like it's better to rush fewer guys if you're not going to get to the quarterback but it's kind of we only almost think about how many guys we bring in relation to passing and 
pressure, but it's like, if you can stop the run with three guys, that's also part of that equation. And so I'm, I'm really interested. I think we do have, um, do have finally have the healthy talent, right? Like it's the flashes that Lopa Leotawa has had in his time have been good, but he's just been hurt for so much of his career. And it's been really unfortunate because he was so talented coming in and, you know, Tyler Batty was good last year and then he got hurt. Uh, I was not expecting Josh Larson to look the way Josh Larson has been looking. Is he the one that is he Porter Gustin's cousin, or am I making that up? Uh, no, that is John Nelson is Porter John, Gustin's. Josh Larson, John Nelson, a bunch of Mormon Utah names. Just a bunch of white Utah people for yeah. sure. But so I I am interested. You know, again, you said in the D line. I think did anybody notice or a couple of weeks ago, uh, Leatawa talking said that. Um, Nasa uh, Nisa Mahe is faster and stronger than Kairos Tonga. Like, and if you're, and if you look at what Kairos Tonga did last year, like he basically, he just was eating up blocks, right? Like he just command a double team, eat up blocks. And, you know, you need to shed him, you know, shed, make a tackle, be good. He was basically, he was a run stuffer, right? And so if Mahe can do that, then I think the D line is going to be okay. Like it's, and I think that's kind of the problem, right? Is that the D line has just been okay. It hasn't been great. And there's been games where they've gotten pushed around and kind of gotten abused, but I, I think they're going to be okay. And I, but I do think, you know, we're in year three of Peyton Wilgar. We're in, you know, year three of Max Tooley and, you know, it's having, we have more experience at linebacker and more depth on the back end that I think we are going to start to see some more aggression because we there is not the risk of giving up the big play. Like, right, that is the number one defensive philosophy of this staff is do not give up big plays. Because if you get a cheap one over you, like you're, you know, you're sitting in it, you're like spotting them seven points, right? And so that's where they operate from primarily. And so everything has been around masking that and there obviously there's the balance right like it's you if you're blitzing linebackers then you're asking more of your secondary and if you um you know and so there is that balance there but then also like you are asking more of your d-line and so it is no matter what you're going to have spots on the field where you don't do a great job um and you're going to have weak spots and so i think that is shifting this year because of the depth on the back end um you know especially in the middle of the field like the safety play i think will be fine to where we, I do think we see a little bit more aggression, similar to what we saw in 2016, the first year of the staff. It's not going to be ton, right? It's not going to be, you know, what was the defensive coordinator at Arizona saying that he wanted to blitz, blitz like 70% of the time or something like that. It's not going to be that, but I think it will be more than what we have seen in the last couple of years. And even last year was higher than what we saw in 2019. So it's, I do think this staff does have tendencies that change year over year. We just don't always perceive that as fans. Uh, Hunter Hill is transferring to BYU, right? He just posted, a, a, I think it's his first post that he's coming to BYU on Instagram. This dude has the hairiest arms I have ever seen. I, and I don't know what that means for an offensive lineman, but I'm sure it means something. Um, it's gonna, what it's gonna look like is, uh, it's gonna hurt because I have very hairy arms and people wearing gloves that grabbed onto those hair is very painful. And I experienced that in high school and I'm gonna go look at this picture. Uh, my arms are so hairy, uh, that one time my nephew said my arms that I looked like a monkey person because my oh, arms were so hairy. Look at, so, I just posted a picture cause his Instagram's private. So on the general page of, of this server wow 
Okay, yeah, that's pretty hairy. That's, I mean, mine like, stops at the hairy, elbow. That's hairy upper arm. Yeah. Yeah, that's hairy. He beats me. Um, oh, we lost Jeff. How did we... He kicked himself out. There we go. You're back now. Um, so, yeah, with that, I mean, I guess we can kind of wrap up here. Jeff, what are your last kind of parting thoughts here? I guess if anyone else has any more, then we can, you can raise your hand. Um, I know we got a couple my, other guys in here. My last thoughts, man, I... <laughs> Uh, I expected, and I still half expect BYU to announce their starting quarterback today. I mean, it, the timing matches up, and I think today is the only media availability for the week, if I'm remembering correctly. So it feels like it would be today, but uh, they did just trot out Elisa Tuiaki as the first interview after practice. So the lengths that BYU goes to, to you know, in order to not give information to fans, is infuriating. That's that is. Problem. That is one thing that Kalani got from Whittingham that he should have left up on the hill. Um, here, let's get Dave raised his hand here. If he's, I clicked the button, it should be adding him in. We don't know what we're doing. Um, I don't know. I'm, I don't know how to work this thing. So apparently uh, U of A just announced that they will be going with a two QB system. So spectacular. Uh, I feel a lot more I feel a lot more confident about that then. You know, they just about that game because if you have two QBs, you have no QBs. And it's interesting that they picked those two QBs. Gunner Cruz and Will Plummer, neither of them are mobile. They had McLeod on that roster. And I, I had read that he struggled a lot with turnovers in camp, and it must have been really bad because at least he's a change of pace guy. Um so interesting that it's Plummer and Cruz to me. Yeah, well, because Gunnell transferred to Memphis, I think, and I thought he was the best guy that they had, period. But um, so yeah, Jed Fish said he believes that eventually one quarterback will emerge, but he does not have one right now as of camp. So if there's zero separation, that's problems. Okay, Dave, you are connected. Uh, just unmute yourself, and then the time is yours. Oh, yeah, no problem. I'm, just, I'm sure it's the fact I'm going through Hooker, Oklahoma, is the problem here. <laughs> Did our resident, our resident trucker. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Anyway, yeah, talking about what we're looking forward to, I'm actually looking more to see how these coaches mesh in because we're definitely getting a little bit more experience and a little bit older on that side of it. Um, kind of looking at like that business curve is where we're starting to mature the Kalani era. You start bringing in guys like that, then you can start taking losses in other places and keep the consistency going. You know, that's a good point. And I think we're really going to see it on the defensive side of the ball. That even, I mean, the assimilation within the coaching staff, within one another, and how they do things is one thing. But just the sheer experience factor on the defensive side of the ball that uh, you, you go back to last year, it was Tuiaki who. I mean, really has not been coaching that long. He he was a tight ends coach, a running backs coach at Utah for a little while, played on coached on the offensive side of the ball when he was a GA. He really only coached defensive football before he came to BYU for I think four years, maybe five years. So he was really new to the game to be a coordinator. And then he had Hadley and he had Guilford who were both new to the FBS level of defensive coaching. 
And, and Ed Lamb was there as well, but he was splitting his time as the, the special teams coordinator. And that was the extent of your defensive coaching experience last year. That's a really, really young coaching staff. For them this year, to obviously they've each gained an additional year of coaching experience, which is great. But to also add Kevin Clune and his 25 years of experience and to get a dedicated, well, I guess a more dedicated Ed Lamb to coach the safeties, that's huge. I mean, that's just a, that, that is an injection of just a ton of experience and wisdom. And I've been pretty harsh on Ed Lamb. I, I, I think he does a lot of things that I, I think, he, well, I, I think he's been given maybe more responsibility than he should have. Uh, things like the scrum package and when that does and doesn't get called, that was him. Uh, that That's weird to me. So I think he's been involved in areas that he shouldn't be involved with, and that's maybe skewed my opinion of him overall. But when it comes to him coaching safeties, the dude is nails. Like He knows how to coach that position group. And that's going to be really, really big, I think, for, for BYU. And then obviously the linebackers just getting – a full-time coach that is not splitting duties, that's going to be huge for them. And then you heard Tuiaki talk about it last week. He was coaching the defensive line by himself. That was 24 bodies, 23, 24 bodies last year. That's just a lot to ask for of one single coach who also happens to be your coordinator. It's no wonder that some of his game plans looked a little bit deficient sometimes when you really look at his workload and, and, and start to peel back how, how how busy he was it kind of makes sense and so hopefully the addition of that experience coupled with just the the better allocation of resources goes a long way and we see a coaching unit that looks like a coaching unit and not so much like a they're just trying to tread water unit a little bit yeah i think with uh with ed lamb it's he Tuiaki really leaned on him a ton those first few years and he um you know now he's kind of coming to his own so yeah like Jeff said so looking back it was he his first college job was as a defensive grad assistant in 2008 at Utah then he went and was the running backs coach for three years at Utah State um and then in 2012 went back to Utah and was the tight ends coach um, coach fullbacks and tight end, and then that's when he really moved to defense. So it was 2013-2014 D-line at Utah, 2015 linebackers at Oregon State, and then obviously defensive coordinator and linebackers in 2016, um, and then oh. defensive coordinator and D-line coach since then. And and now I think actually too with him just having to work with the inside because right the the edge rushers are being worked by Preston Hadley is kind of, you know, he's taking the defensive ends and the outside linebackers kind of as their own group. And that's a lot more modern twist on a coaching assignment. Um, But I think it will free up his time to focus on some more things, but it's, it's always been a, you know, kind of a, it's always been kind of a tandem thing with him and Ed Lamb um, working collectively on that, even though, um, you know, Similar to similarly on the offense, how it was, you know, Jeff Grimes would call run pass, and if it was a pass play, Roderick would call the actual play. You know, it wasn't obviously broken down specifically like that, but it was, um, you know, there was a a little bit of, you know, there's a lot of back and forth between the two of them, kind of working in tandem. Um, we did have a couple people uh, just jump in. Uh, we're wrapping this up, um, so I think this is. Uh, this has been a cool format. I don't know, Jeff, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I really like it. I think that this will be really fun. Um, 
you know, pop it on during like halftime at games. Like we can do that. It's obviously tricky when everybody's at the game, like we're going to have for the first month of the season. I think a lot of us are going down to Vegas and then obviously home games after that. But when uh, when it's road games or whatever, I think this will be a really cool format to, to jump on and talk with each other during the game and then uh, post-game stuff. I think it's going to be great. Yep. Excited about it. Hopefully we get more people to to subscribe, to join the server, and, and, and we start to really grow the audience here. But I think that uh, I think it's cool. I want to keep doing it. Yeah, so we are going to have um, the post-game shows kind of live like this, and it's great because we can just do it from our phones. So even if we're leaving the game, like, you know, we can – do it in the car. You know, you can be listening into the car. Sorry, Greg Rebell. Um, we're probably going to be more fun to talk to. Um, so you can do it in the car. You can do it from your phone. If you're at, you know, if you're at home, you can hop on your computer, uh, do it on your phone. Uh, we are going to have game threads as well. Um, so we will have a chat room going if you just want to come on and shoot the bull during the games. Um, but I'm really excited. So again, if come check out our discord, if you go to the website, give them There is the discord button at the top. Um, and I'm excited. And so uh, we are going to be recording our normal episode tomorrow. So we will get that out. Um, we will get that out later this week. So I hope you all enjoy this bonus episode. And we'll get some feedback from the people who were here this week joining us and, you know, hopped on and got to say their piece. But I, I, we get, did get good feedback last year when we tried like the post game call in a little bit, but it was a pain in the butt to figure out those, getting those voicemails spliced in. So this is a much better in that regard. Uh, yeah, for sure. We uh, we had no idea what we were doing. And we still don't really have an idea what we're doing, but we have a better idea of what we're doing. Yes, a much better idea. So with that, uh, everyone, thanks for joining in and give them hell. Give them hell.